you walk a fine line of recklessness. Like we we say reckless abandon. Like you like guys playing with reckless abandon when you're playing tackle, but it's a fine line, right? You want them playing with reckless abandon with the wisdom of the game. Welcome back to the show. Today, my guest is Chris Killian. Chris co-founded the DFFL, which is the Delaware Foundation Football League in the fall of 2019, which currently serves over 200 children per season in the fall and in the spring in and around the new Castle County, Delaware area. Chris was a football player himself. He was a defensive back at Bridgewater College. And we talk about how his experiences as an athlete, as it relates to having mentors and coaches his whole life, has shaped him into who he is and how he hopes to be able to pay that forward in the way that he instills those values into the kids that he works with now. Chris recently took 14 kids across two age divisions to the AFFL National Championship in Disney as Delaware's official state representative. The DFFL is a great league for kids that want to play football without the contact, but it's also an amazing option for kids that play contact football to get a chance to learn sound mechanics so that they can be better on the field when they're playing in their traditional setting. If you have kids that live in and around the Newcastle County area, the DFFL is the league for them. Hey everyone, real quick before we dive into the episode, you probably heard about this podcast directly from someone else or saw it shared on social media. We can only grow, spread our message further, and keep bringing in awesome and amazing guests with your help. If you could take five seconds and hop on whatever podcast platform you're using and leave us a review, it would mean the world to us. On to the show. Chris Killian, welcome to the show. What's up, Derek? What's up? Or should I say bat? I call you bat. I ain't going to call you. There you go. <laughs> you, might, you might be the first person that addressed me like that on here, <laughs> ironically. Yeah, I have, I've had a few people on that you know were part of the gym in, in some capacity at some point, but most of them, I think, went the formal route and called me Derek. So it might Yeah, be every first. time I call you Derek, it'd be like, it makes me feel like a little queasy. It's like, all right, man, bat. What's up, bat? <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There we go. Yeah. Uh, well, hey, that that actually speaks to uh, the first point I wanted to make, which which was you know how long I've known you and kind of give the audience some transparency here. So we've known each other. I was actually trying to calculate this the other day when I was doing some of my uh, research and notes for the the podcast. I think it's been since 2013. Am I right? Yeah, November November first, 2013 was the day I walked in there. 2013, yeah. So yeah. Uh, full transparency for everybody. Chris and I have known each other going – actually, yeah, we're almost at a decade now. It's yeah. crazy. Crazy. <laughs> Time um, flies. Time flies. So, yeah, he, he walked into Hard Bad Athletics back in 2013, uh, very quickly came on board as a regionals competitor uh, as part of our team, and then eventually went on to compete individually from 2016 through 18, correct? Yeah, yeah. Before, okay. before like they blew up the the format. <laughs> before they blew up the format, yeah, made a mess of things. Uh, yeah. yeah, and then you know, fun fact to throw in there, I I officiated Chris's wedding, which yes. was 
Yes. A, a bucket list experience for me that I never knew would exist, but hey. I, yeah, that I was, was dope, man. It meant a lot to us to do that, Be, being that I met my wife at Harvard Athletics. Um, and then we uh, we wanted everything to be meaningful. So, like, someone officiating the wedding that didn't really know us, didn't really sit as well with us. So, I mean, it was perfect. We met at Harvard Athletics. You own Harvard Athletics and was were, are, is a, are a close friend of ours. So, it was it was perfect. Yeah, so thank I, you for I, that. I appreciate I appreciate <laughs> the honors. It was very fitting and an amazing experience watching yeah. uh, all that take place. That was great. Um, and and I what's funny is that is a perfect segue into the DFFL, which is the Delaware uh, Foundation Football League, because you created that along basically in parallel to the process of getting married. Am I wrong? <laughs> no, you're right. Yeah, so we were um, the fall of 2019. Um, Busy time, planning a wedding. Um, my son and uh, my co-founder, um, Brian Burke, um, his son, they both were three, three and four, I think they were at the time. I can't remember. Years of just flying by. Um, but we wanted to get them into um, a flag football organization. And um, I won't bash any organizations, but we had them signed up and just weren't pleased with, like, things prior to the season, information, set up. Um, care for the kids, and and this is before practices even started. Um, so us being like former athletes and having like equipment that we we had for years, like cones and flags and balls and things like that, we were just like, we could probably do this. And from our perspective as parents of kids in this demographic, um, number one. They didn't offer anything for three-year-olds at the time, um, and Bergson was three. Um, so we were like, we could offer something for that age group and then give them an experience that's unlike any other in the area um, with them being at the forefront of every decision, that, all the decisions that are being made because we just didn't feel that. Um, so, yeah, um, parallel to my wedding, um, big thanks to my wife for putting up with that because it did take a lot. Um and we rolled out the Delaware Foundation Football League, I think, two weeks before I got married because uh, I got married on September 14th. I think we had two games. I got married. <laughs> um, and then we came back in the, in the middle of the season as well. So, yeah, um, I think that first season was like like 20 kids in the three- to five-year-old division. And uh, now we're serving over well over 200 kids across four divisions and cheerleaders. So it's it's uh, – <laughs> It's grown quite a bit. That's fantastic, man. Yeah, it's been awesome to see uh, from the outside looking in, uh, you know, everything taking place from the marketing of it to, you know, the size of the games and the participation and you guys now traveling. It's It's been really awesome to see. Um, you know, you've always been someone who is like a very enthusiastic, motivational and like authentic coach. Um, and I've seen that both in, in terms of what you've done for me at Hardbat, but also in the way that you run the league. You know, how have your experiences being in sports your whole life kind of helped shape your vision for DFFL? Um, well, it goes back to like the impact that coaches have had on my life, right? So I look at it more like a kind of paying it forward type of thing. So like when I was young, um, circumstances I won't get into circumstances but my my father my biological biological father wasn't in the household not to say I didn't have like a father figure my older brother but um 
my coaches, as far as like the sports that I played, they paid, they, they played a pivotal role in like my upbringing and like life lessons and things of that nature. Um, because of what they invested in me, not necessarily monetarily, um, but in the time and the, uh, the wisdom that they imparted on me as a young kid. I think that's where my passion for it comes from is because I felt that impact as a kid. Like I still remember things that was that were said to me when I was six, seven years old. Um, and I'm saying some of those same things to these kids, um, which, you know, what I mean, in my in my case, I'm lucky and blessed enough to have had like good coaches to where those lessons can be like positive ones that I can look back on. Um, so I, I got to shout out like Coach Jamie, Coach Mike, Coach Biggie. Um, and coming up in like uh, Mount Vernon and Nervous New York, those coaches were pivotal in my upbringing. And then like even in college, um, Coach Michael Clark, like those those guys in my life, um, Coach Rayford, Coach Johnson, Coach Healy, all of those guys, like they've shaped me into the man that I am today in, a, in addition to my family. What are some of those character traits and lessons um, that – you were able to take on from all those coaches that you hope to instill in the league by the way that, you know, you're able to coach the kids and coach the coaches with how to coach the kids. Um, well, it kind of ties back into the pillars of the league. So um, number one is character. Um, every last one of those guys that I named were men of character. So when they told you they were going to do something, they did that. Um, you watched them in their everyday life. Like they were all men of like men of honor. It's like kind of like a, uh, a cheesy phrase, but that's what that's what I looked at them as, regardless of what their their um, personal situation, personal life situations were. They handled themselves with dignity. They were men of character. Um, they they were upstanding citizens. Um, <clears throat> they were also disciplined. Um, so um, from the aspect of sports, but also in the aspect of life. So like things that um, you have to do from a coaching standpoint, whether it be like studying an opponent. Right. You coming into practice and having notes from hey, we're playing such and such this week. This is what they like to do. Um, your your responsibility this week is going to be X, Y, Z. And the reason that we're going to do this is because it's going to open this up, right? That, that takes countless hours to do things like that. And it takes a lot of discipline, especially when you're juggling like a personal and family life. Um, um, those guys were, were there for us, right? Like you're running practices and you have kids that you got to pick up from school. They got homework that they got to do and things like that. They weren't late. They stayed late. Like if kids um, didn't have rides home, they provided those rides home. Um, they were just honorable in every sense of the word um, and then determined. Right. So our character, discipline and determination um, and everything that they set out that I saw saw them set out to do. Um, they attacked it full steam ahead. It wasn't it wasn't like any second guessing or um, doubt. And not to say that they achieved everything that they set out to do, but it wasn't for a lack of effort, right? It wasn't for a lack of or doubt within themselves. Um, and I always admired that about every last one of those guys. And in, in each of their different ways, they, they displayed those things. Yeah, I know. I love that. Well, I mean, it's, it's one thing to, you know, be able to recognize that in your own experiences and even like put it forward in terms of a mission statement. But I'm, I'm sure that there are ways in which you go about making sure that these uh, these character traits, disciplines, and determinations are, are trickled down to the, the the kids inside of your programs. And not just by the way of like, hey, we run some drills at practice that are hard and it makes you become disciplined because you have to do difficult things. But like what what are some of the ways in which you make sure that you're instilling these 
um, these traits in the kids that you're working with? Well, number one, like, um, I knew this before having kids, just being a, being a kid myself, kids are more in line to, um, to mimic what you do versus what you say. Um, so number one is being a model of those things, right? So, um, when we talk about character, you gotta be a man of character in order for you to deliver that message to the, to the children and them to, to, um, to follow up on that. So when we talk about character as it pertains to, to athletics, um, when you're out on the football field, sportsmanship, right? So, um, you might win or lose. There's going to be a winner or a loser in a game, right? Um, but at the end of the day, we want to make sure that sportsmanship is something that we're upholding at all times. Um, and we don't just just uh, require that from our athletes. We require that for our, for our parents. One of the things that we tell our parents in the beginning of the year, DFFL is for all children, um, but it's not for all parents. And if the parent is going to be, be in a situation – put us in a situation where it puts our our league values at at risk then we would rather just uh part ways because we don't want to water down who we are and impact the experience that the kids are having so we are and from the from the from the sportsmanship character also with your teammates right so when we're when we're we have practice days right and, and kids it's not all the way up to them but we stress the importance of being there at practice and being on time to practice, right? Because when you're working on things on the practice field, we're working on plays and I've got half my team not here and the other half's here. When we show up on Sunday, half the team's going to know what's going on. The other half may have spotty information. So that's a part of that character and that commitment that you're making to the other guys, right? Because we view football as the ultimate team game. You can have a star athlete, um, but he is, he is subject or he or she is subject to the other parts on the team. So everybody, all those parts work together. Um, and then from the determination aspect, we just preach at any time that you're on that field, I have two rules as a coach, have fun and do your best. And the determination comes from doing your best. Now everybody's best looks different, right? Cause everybody has different athletic abilities. Um, even interests, right? You may, football may not be the most important, like the, the, your favorite thing to do, but you're out here. I still want you to do the best that you can do when you're out here. And if the best that you can do is line up that wide receiver and just run forward, right, for this play, just do that. Give me that, right? If the best that you can do in this in, in this in this situation is say for like say for instance our three year old program is say ready set hype, which for them is a huge deal because you got all these people looking at you and it's like, do I really want to say this out loud? You know what I mean? Or do I want Coach Chris to say it for me? So like your best in that situation is ready, set, hype, and I'm happy. You know what I mean? But we just strive for everyone to give their best effort in that in that aspect. Um, and then the discipline comes from like if this is something that you want to do, what are you doing to work on this? And this this mainly goes for like our older kids, right? So it's like we have a six to eight, but mainly to like that nine to eleven. They get to the back end of six to eight in the nine eleven division, and it's like you're getting prepared for like middle school and then getting up to like those higher levels of football. So like, what are you doing to work on your game? Like, all right, you want to play wide receiver. Okay. Um, what's your favorite release, right? Um, let's start introducing it. If you want, if you want to play DB, let's start introducing man versus zone techniques and then putting the onus on you. Like, okay, when you go home, 
I'm going to give you this homework. And then when you report back to me, tell me what you learned about X, Y, Z from doing these drills or watching something that I told you to watch. Like if you want to be a quarterback, how many times are you throwing the ball when you're not with me? Right. Um, and that just and, and it differs in, in, in the age groups. This is more like older kids um, because they, they're going to be the ones that are like putting in that time. Um, three to three year olds, the four to five division and the young six to six to eight division. We're just mainly focused on introducing the game and having them have a good time and fall in love with the game. Right. We don't want to put too much stress on them at that point because we don't want football to feel like a job when you're five. You know what I mean? Right. Right. And and nor do we want you specializing in one sport either. Right. We're just we're just one vehicle. Um, but that's how we, we institute those into the program. That's great. Well, speaking of emulation, I definitely do want to come back to the parents because I feel like that's going to be a, a worthwhile talking point. But speaking of emulation, you know, how do you walk the fine line between these kids seeing professional athletes showboating and kind of playing, you know, pouring on the entertainment factor, which is obviously not only warranted, but like thoroughly enjoyed by people watching football at the highest levels, including these kids while also trying to promote sportsmanship. Like, how do you draw the line in the sand there? It is a fine line. And, um, and to be honest, we're still, like, trying to, to find that line. Because, like you said, like, you'll have guys that, like, you're, they want to play wide receiver, like, even the young kids. Like, my favorite player is, is Justin Jefferson, and they want to hit the gritty, right? Um, so, like, we do allow kids to, like, dance and things like that in the end zone. But where we draw the line is when – the celebration becomes personal towards another player. Like if you score and you're with your team and you're celebrating very similar to the NFL, like taunting is not allowed, but celebrating in the end zone is allowed. You get a turnover. Guys are allowed to celebrate. They got turnover chains and whatever that, that may be and going to the camera because it is a production. Right. Um, but you pull a flag and you stand over top of a kid and you throw the flag back at them. Those are the things that where we draw the line and say, like, hey, that's bad sportsmanship. We don't ever want you showing up your opponent um, nor degrading them because kids are fragile, especially at those young ages. And we don't want it to be a situation where they lose the confidence in themselves altogether based on a situation like that, where it's just like All right, it was it was one play. Um, we don't want a kid to feel like oh, I'm not worth anything out here because. This kid made a play on me. He stood over top of me and like flexed on me and all that stuff like that. Like we don't allow that. But the um, the touchdowns, um, yeah. Well, well, we we have a few grittiers <laughs> um, in the league. Um, oh, I'm sure. Yeah, it, it, it's funny. I mean, <clears throat> the, the parents get into it. Um, it. It's fun for the kids to see, um, and it's, it's allowing them to have fun. Like we said, we want them to fall in love with the game, um, and that's 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 a part of it right now from the top. Um, so we do allow that, that portion of the game to, to go in, go, go, go on. Nice. Yeah. I, I like the way you broke that down. Well, you know, you mentioned a couple of things. There's so a one, you know, you, you talked about how, um, you're, especially for the younger age groups, one of your focuses is like in understanding that these kids, this may not be their number one sport. And you're also trying not to make it very job like, right? You want them to associate coming to practice, coming to games as something that they like thoroughly enjoy. Um, but that, you know, in addition to as these kids get older, they're starting to play contact as well, mm -hmm. right? So this is obviously a non contact league. You know, do you look at, 
the DFFL is like a supplementation to the contact sports or contact football that they may be playing elsewhere? Um, and what are some of the benefits of playing in a league like this that they may not get from playing in a full contact league? Like the question. And that's actually like one of the main like foundation pieces of our league. And yes, so we do look at it as a supplement to um, to tackle. We run simultaneous with tackle in the fall and we have a spring season. So some kids will play um, flag with us and tackle at the same time because tackle games are on Saturdays. We play on Sundays. Um, but the benefit we think that it provides is it allows kids to learn the game without the risk of the, the physical side, right? Because what we found in like, I go to a lot of youth games too, just because I love football and I like seeing it. Um, and what you find is that kids will, will be out there sometimes, some kids I'll say, don't understand football, but they're in an environment with full pads on and have everybody running at them full speed. And if you know anything about playing the game, the more you're thinking, the more at risk you are for injury, right? Football is a very fast game and it's a physical game. The less you have to think when you're out there, the more you can play freely and the more more likely you are to be safe, right? Because you know what you're doing um, and the more hesitant you are, the more likely you are for something bad to happen, right? So if you don't know anything about like angles, like I'll say, for instance, like containing on defense, right? Making sure that a run state, what, we, what I mean by contain is if a run is coming at you, making sure that you force the run back inside to the rest of your teammates, because if he gets to the corner of the sideline, there's nobody else out there, right? So looking at a kid trying to figure that out while also thinking like, oh, shoot, I got to make the tackle. I got to make sure that my eyes are up, my chest is up, and I'm not bent over, head down um, with my um, and with my back at risk. Those are a lot of things to be going on in the kid's head. Um, so what we found is that introducing the game at a young age, when they do transition into tackle, they're able to play a lot faster. And the kids that we, we have that are playing tackle right now, when they step out there, people are like, this is your first year playing tackle? And we're like, yeah. But they've been playing football since they've been four, just not in, just not in the tackle aspect. And they also understand their bodies and know how to carry pads a little bit better, too, because they've been running, cutting, and things of that nature. Like, think about, like, a baby giraffe, right? Baby giraffe <laughs> gets born. Legs are still shaky, and then you throw shoulder pads, a helmet, thigh pads, and knee pads on it, right? And then you say, "Go to running back. I'm going to give you the ball." And you you find an opening. You go to the the designated hole and outrun every defender, right? These kids sometimes don't have proper running form, right? The helmets, depending like depending on how small the kid is, those helmets they're out there like you know what I mean? They can't really run. You know what I mean? Yeah. So what we find is that it, it provides them a safe space to do those things and learn what it is. Like, okay, how can I set up a defender when I got the ball in my hands? And then when you transition to pads, it's just like learning how to see peripheral vision with that helmet on. Um, but yeah, it, and, and we, we think it provides a good supplement and learning the game in a safer environment before they transition into the more contact where you don't want to be out there thinking every, every play. Yeah, absolutely. And and some of those kids will never graduate to want to wanting to play with with full pads right. on. And and then it provides a safe space for them as well. And mm -hmm. you know, and I'm, you know, an experience this this brought back for me, which I'm sure you can relate to is like tackle football for me was a rather benign experience in the sense that like 
from the time that I got into it, it's like, yeah, you get hit here and there, but like kids, they're not that fast. They're not that strong. Like they're, they're, you know, somewhat tentative whenever they are or, or timid when they are eventually making tackles and trying to make the big hit. But like eventually you get to a point where developmentally kids change a lot and they're mm-hmm. very, there's a lot of variance. And like, I'm sure you remember what it was like the first time you ever took a really big hit. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's an eye opening experience, man. Yeah. Like, you're like, okay, like th- things are about to change. And like, I remember <laughs> there's a very specific moment for me where that happened, where I was like, you know, I got my bell wrong. So to say, they can't say that anymore, but mm-hmm. it was like, okay, wow. Like this is real now. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I think for some kids, unfortunately that happens uh, and, and it's unprecedented and they're not ready for it. And it's like that, those are the moments that we're trying to avoid. And I think you're doing the right thing by putting the kids in a position to be able to get comfortable with developing the football IQ before being put in a position where they're at risk and they, they don't even know it. Right. Right. I mean, like any, anything that you do, like any, any, um, any skill, right. You could take it to any sport. Um, think about like, if you were, you never played baseball before. You never knew how to how to how to swing a bat. Um, and then you started playing in high school when kids are throwing like like your average high school pitcher probably throws like 60 miles per hour. And that's like an average kid. Like and then you get somebody who's like really good and they're throwing a the ball and you never swung a bat before. You stand in the batter bo- batter's box like that's a traumatic experience. Like I remember playing yeah. as, playing little league and stuff like that. And you, th- you go against some hard pitchers. You know what I mean? And it's like. Can he really control this ball? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, <clears throat> so when you put that in the aspect of football, it's like, yeah, you got these pads on, which develops like an internal sense of reckless recklessness. Um, and with that recklessness, if you don't have the knowledge of the game, it, that recklessness can become dangerous, right? Because you you uh you you walk a fine line of recklessness, like. We, we say reckless abandon, like you like guys playing with reckless abandon when you're playing tackle, but it's a fine line, right? You want them playing with reckless abandon with the wisdom of the game, right? A guy playing with reckless abandon that doesn't have any wisdom of the game is a dangerous player, dangerous for himself and dangerous for other people because he's like, he's an unknown, you don't know what he's going to do. You know what I mean? Like I've seen kids like kick, you know what I mean? Like it's just like, it's fight or flight. Like in some, you just like your, your, your natural reactions kind of take over. And if you're in an uncomfortable environment, you don't know what's going to happen. Um, so we try to make it as comfortable an environment as possible. And like you said, there are some parents that don't want their kids to ever play tackle and we're for you. You know what I mean? Like if you don't want them to ever play tackle, we're here too. Like we're, we're not pushing tackle on anyone. Um, we call ourselves, we don't even call ourselves flag football. We call ourselves non-contact football because we teach, the actual elements of the tackle game, but we just don't allow contact, right? Um, so kids will understand, like, line of scrimmage, the box, coverages, um, one man on the line of scrimmage, otherwise receiver needing to be off the line of scrimmage, things of that nature. So we're trying to teach them every element of the game that we can without the contact. Um, so if you do want to make that transition, you know everything that you need to know. Yeah, when I think it's a lot to ask of a kid that's it's 18 through 22 years old that has a chance at playing, you know, in the league. It's a lot to ask of them to be able to have enough foresight 
to understand the implications uh, and the risks associated with playing a sport like football, you know, and they're, they're not even fully developed at that age. And it's like, let alone, you know, a 10, 12 or 14 year old, it's like they're all they see is all of the upside, right? Mm -hmm. Like they, they don't, and a lot of times it's because they're, they're shadowed and people try to keep them in the shadow of, of the downsides of playing, you know, contact sports. So it's like, you can't put them in a position to, to have to make that call at that age, you know? And I think yeah. that your, your league does a great job of being able to keep the excitement and all the upside around football without exposing kids to risks that they're just not in a position to even be able to make a call on. Yeah. That's something that we care a lot about too. Like even from the tackle side, um, like we noticed that, Tackle football in in America, period. Um, we there is a lot more that we can do from the, just from the aspect of teaching the game, right? Um, if it's never going to be a, it's never going to be, it's not a contact sport, it's a collision sport. It's never going to not be a collision sport. But there are ways to minimize risk and teach proper proper technique that is lacking um and it starts foundationally like kids are sponges right so if you are if you're out there and you're you're rewarding like let's say a kid gets a big hit right he gets a big hit um everything is okay but that's a valuable teachable moment if that big hit came with improper technique because there is another side to that right so like it's like all right you came off the edge you blitzed you blew up. You blew up the running back on on a, on a sweep. Great tackle for loss. Great job. But there is also an aspect to that of like, all right, let's go back and look at this film. Right here, your tackle angle was completely off. Do you see how the crown of your head is is point, like your eyes are down? You're not looking at what you're hitting. This puts X, Y, and Z at risk. You can teach tackle without tackling. Also, so you can teach ta proper tackle technique without the risk of like having kids slamming to each other. You know what I mean? I never liked the um, line up 10 yards apart and run full speed and just run into each other. They're not learning anything from that. Right. And what you find nowadays is that there's, when I was a kid, there was multiple days that were spent on, like we started on our knees. First of all, start on your knees, learning how to like fire out and get in the proper body angle and you're hitting a pad, Right. It's like, okay, your head is here, your shoulders here, your chest, you know what I'm saying? Your eyes are up, and you're doing that over and over again. Very similar to, like, when I learned Olympic lifting. I didn't touch anything for the, but a PVC pipe, you know what I mean, for, like, yep. two hours, you know what I mean? But it, like, drilled home, like, over and over and over and over again what that proper technique is. Now we're in, like, this microwave society where it's, like, everything has to be super fast, super fast, super fast, and... I think that's the problem where we're not taking the time to actually teach the game to these kids um, and then and then allow them to play with not with the knowledge of, of, of the game, because it's going to be a risk regardless. But I think the risk gets minimized if the teachers are actually teaching versus just sending the kids out there on, um, to do just um, uh, be, be glad be uh, mini gladiators. Right. Um, teach them the game. We have a responsibility as coaches to protect the kids and you can't protect them if you're not teaching them. Yeah. I love that. Well, and you know, your point to 
proper tackling form and, you know, the ability to use pads and things of that nature to help reinforce that. I mean, how many times do we see even in the NFL that it's, it's the person actually making the tackle that, that ends up being the injured one. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. it's not always a matter of, Oh, you know, you, you, helmet to helmet contact. Now, you, you know, you've <coughs> busted, busted up a defenseless receiver. Like a lot of the times it's the person making the tackle attempt. Yeah. I mean, it's a very, it, like, it's a very violent game and it's very like, People don't look at, at football as a technical sport, but if you want to do it correctly, there, there, there are techniques involved to do it correctly. Um, and the techniques involved are there and put in place to protect you. Now, that's not to say that because with any sport, there's risk of injury, right? There, there's going to be those risks there. But you put yourself in a, very, in a far more optimal position um, when you're when you're setting your kids up for success and teaching them that proper technique and also kids don't have to hit every day. You know, what I mean, like that's not necessary. Like you don't need to be running into each other every day. Um, that's not necessary at all. Um, and I'm I'm far more of, of a proponent of having maybe one day of like live tackling and then the rest of the week being like, all right. We're going to reinforce proper position and then you guys go full speed on at, on game day, because what, we, what we're finding is it's the uh, cumulative imp, uh, effect of all those impacts. Right. All those car crashes. Right. So it's like, all right, you, you got practice four days a week. Right. Every day of the week you're doing that. Now, there's something to like conditioning your body to, to, to prepare for that. Um, but once we get in season, kids shouldn't be doing that every day. Um, especially at a younger age. Um, but I don't, I don't think we're, we're thinking that way from a tackle perspective holistically across the country. There are some programs that do it really well, um, but as a whole, I think we could do a lot better um, as, as a country. Yeah, I mean, well, with far less than 1% of the population inside of these Pop Warner and, you know, peewee football leagues, it's like – so much of the conversation, unfortunately, about concussions gets talked about inside of the scope or, or the context of the NFL. But the reality is, is like that that is such a, a small percentage yeah. of the of the people affected. Right. It's it's the, the conversation really needs to be had around some of these youth football leagues where, you know, ninety nine point nine percent of the kids will never even get close to making the NFL yet are taking are are, are participating in these sports and in these leagues in a way that could, you know, affect them the rest of their life for good or for worse, you know, mm -hmm. and I think being a voice in the right direction here is, is really important. So I did want to rewind the tape a little bit because I feel like this does implicate the parents. Um, you, yeah. know, you spoke about how you talk to the parents uh, as part of the, the beginning of seasons and let them know that they're, uh, you know, they're, they're a part of this, you know, how do you make sure that they are, uh, instilling these uh, these perspectives in the kids at home, you know, in addition to what you guys do on the field? Um, we're, we just, uh, we're very vulnerable in that regard, right? So and we're vulnerable and we are, um, what's the word, word I'm looking for? I don't know the word I'm looking for, but we, we care in the aspect that we ask those questions, right? So a lot of the times, um, Coaches and things of that nature don't get involved in those, involved in the at-home life or the, the um, reinforcement at home because they just don't ask, right? We have kids at home, so we know what it's like, right? And not to say that everybody that has kids does this, 
Um, but we ask, like, okay, like, what's going on at school, right? What's going on at home? We encourage parents to bring those things to us, right? So we open the door for that conversation. Um, because that, let's face facts, like, we're in a very, pri- like, we're in a, everybody is public about what they want to be public, but we're still private at the same time, right? We're strangers for the, like, in the beginning, um, when we first meet people. So, a parent that doesn't know me or doesn't know um, the rest of the DFFL staff is not as likely to come up to us and say, hey, my son is acting up at home. Can you talk to him um, from, from the first meeting? But something as simple as at practice, going up to the parents and shaking their hand and saying, thank you for bringing your kid to practice today. That stuff goes a long way. Right. I might not be able to give you a 30 minute conversation because we about, we're about to have practice. But just the fact that I open up that door of communication, you feel a little bit more comfortable coming up to me. And then when I talk to your son or daughter, I'm not asking them about football when I first when when they first come up to me um, at practice or at the game. A lot of times my first question to them was, how was school? What did you learn today? Right. Um, and then it transitions to, oh, well, he did X, Y, Z in school. You know what I mean? And then it's like, OK, let's have this conversation. Now you're going to stay after practice and we're going to have a conversation with all of the staff. So we've had these meetings with kids where you're standing here and it's the 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 founders of the league and we're talking to you and letting you know like hey, this is no nonsense. Like if you don't take care of what you need to take care of at home and at school, DFFL is not an option. Now, how your parents, whether they make you show up and you don't play or they just keep you home altogether, but that's how we're going to handle it because this is a privilege and you only get to get to experience this if you're doing the thing, if you're taking care of the things that you need to take care of at home and at school, um, this comes secondary. Like this is an extracurricular activity that you get to do from doing what you need to do in the other areas. Um, so we make ourselves present in that at home life, just opening up those conversations. Yeah, that's great because, you know, parents, I'm sure, love the fact that you're acting as an extension to some of the things that they're trying to instill in their kids at home because, you know, it's um, – Unfortunately, you know, kids look at mom and dad as the dumbest people on the planet, you know, and uh, having having coaches that can be there to, you know, can put, push those things forward and instill them, uh, you know, at practice and not just make it about who's the best on the field, who can run the fastest, who can, you know, catch every ball. But it's also like, hey, you need to make sure you're checking the boxes at home and giving the same 100% we expect of you here at home. You know, that's that's uh, that's awesome that you guys do that. Yeah, and like I like what I said in my two rules, have fun and do your best. I tell the kids, like, do your best, it also applies to the classroom, right? So like you're gonna you're gonna have some kids that are just better at school than others, right? But if you're capable of getting A's, get A's, right? If your best is B or B's and C's, get B's and C's, right? None of like none of you are in a position where you don't have the aptitude to at least go to school and behave. You know what I mean? So those are the conversations that we're having with them, even at a young age of three, three, four and five. Right. You know what I mean? So it's like instilling that like when when the adult is talking. Right. So we'll say like when coach is talking, what's the, what are you guys supposed to be doing? Be quiet because everybody has to get be able to hear the directions for what we're about to do next. When we bring it in similar to when they're in preschool, they do crisscross applesauce. When we're on the football field. We do a knee. When we bring it in. What do we do? Right. Somebody we usually have one kid that knows like everybody takes a knee and it's not that we want to be militant or like um, just 
have absolute rule over them. It's showing it's showing the kids that you're going to in life, you're going to have to follow directions from somebody other than your parent. Right. You're learning how to be coachable. You're learning how to take direction in other aspects, because regardless of where you go, whether it's school, um, even if you own your own business, there's going to be something that you have to take direction from someone else. Uh, you have to learn how to take direction. You have to learn how to apply those directions and do the things that are being asked of you um, so that we implement that within the program. And then we also ask the questions at home and we tell we encourage parents to keep us keep us involved um, with those things. Yeah, and I think there's something to be said about, you know, maintaining a sense of order and direction alongside of your peers. You know, like yeah. you're doing something for the betterment of the team, even though it may seem stupid or unnecessary. It's like you're doing it because everyone else is doing it and it helps contribute to the team. Yeah, it's a little challenging, too, like with, with where we are now, like when, with the older kids, like because you got, I mean, Instagram facebook cell phones and stuff so a practice that i have with the older kids and i'm like give me your phone number you know what i mean because i want you to know like you can text me like i don't care what's going on so that's how i open it up with them because they're a little bit different of a dynamic when you're talking about like a 10 11 um and we have a 12 to 14 year old division now too so like they're on instagram and it also puts me in check too about the things that i do on social media Right. Because you have kids who have their own Instagram page or they're on mom's phone or dad's phone on their Instagram page. And mom or dad follows me and things of that nature. So the things that I'm doing or saying um, on my Instagram is is taken in by the kids that I'm coaching. Right. So I got kids that come up to me and be like, I seen you yelling this morning. And I'm like, what? Like the first time I said the kid said that to me, I was like, what? He was like, yeah, you were yelling this morning. And my mom showed me out. And she was like, and, and his mom was like, the Kakashan thing you do every morning. I was like, oh. I was like, okay. I, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. It's like, I saw funny. you this morning. Yeah. So, like, those things keep me in check, too, and keep all of us in check, um, which is a good thing for us to make sure that we are maintaining the pillars that we've set forth for the league. That's great. Yeah. Well, one of the privileges I feel like, I have to acknowledge here with uh, creating a private league is that you can kind of set the expectations both for the kids and for the parents. And in that way, create a culture that you want to sustain. And and like, this is one of the downfalls of, of youth sports, but specifically as you start getting into that, like middle school and high school age, where the schools outside of extreme circumstances really don't have a say over what parents are involved and mm -hmm. which parents are showing up to the games. And like, I know I've had terrible experiences as part of every sport that I've ever played with just parents that were completely off the handle. Um, you know, how much of an issue has this been with the league and how important do you feel like it is to keep a culture that uh, is supportive for the kids? Um, knock on wood. Thankfully, um, we have not had um, a bad, like a, a real bad situation from a parent standpoint. Now, we have had parents that we've had to have conversations with, but none like like situations that I've seen coming up um, and that you see all over social media, like where, where things are just getting out of hand. Um, we have had to have conversations with parents, though, um, just kind of reinforcing um what our standards are and what our expectations are of them. I think the reason that we don't have as many issues um, it is because we kind of, we not kind of, we do address that up front before the season, 
right? So, and I'm not talking about just an email. I'm talking about first practice, after practice, parents stay. You're going to listen to me and Bert talk to you about what the expectation is of you. We tell you about the barrier that we have around the field, why that barrier is there and what we expect you to do to honor that barrier. We tell you about the kind of um, reinforcement we want to hear on the sidelines, right? We don't want any of the negative, the negative cursing and um, banter at the refs or banter at the coaches and things of that nature, because those things will be addressed. And if we can't come to an agreement, not a really an agreement, but you agree, you saying that you're going to abide by the rules, then we'll just part ways. It's just not worth the, the 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 negative experience for every other kid that's out there. So we we address that stuff up front, and I think that kind of um and we've grown with the the, the our parents have grown with us, um and our like we call them legacy parents. Our legacy parents I think do a great job of upholding that culture and also keeping that culture in check on the sideline as best they can without overstepping boundaries from like a stranger to a stranger standpoint, right? So kids that run up and like maybe grabbing on the barrier like it's not necessarily like their parent that may say something another parent may say hey honey like hey buddy stay off the barrier or like if a if if a, if a parent crosses over the barrier another parent may say hey they'll come and get them um just send them across the field they'll see him walking out and they'll come and grab them you're good they'll just leave them right here so our we we it, it takes a village is basically what i'm saying um we have great parents um, and I think we we do a great job of communicating our expectations, whereas I think what's ha- what happens is now you ha- you sign up for other leagues and there's never a conversation about those expectations. Um, I know my 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 son, my daughter is just coming of age to where she's about to start doing activities. But my my son, CJ, he does other sports. Um, there's not there's not a specific conversation about what their expectation is of the parent. Right. You sign a form that's basically just a, a waiver that says, like, they're not held liable if the kid gets hurt, um, tells you how much you're paying, and that's it. Um, and I think that's why you have a lot more of these issues at, like, baseball games, um, wrestling matches, uh, soccer games where, like, parents are on the field um, yelling at referees and things like that. And you're like – and parents will tell, tell us, like, this would never happen at a VFFL game. And they're like, yeah, you're right. You're right. Like – we we kind of nip that in the bud before you even come out. We tell you what you're going to get. Like you come out, you see the barrier. It's very clear. We told you it was going to be there. We told you why it's there. If you cross that barrier, we're going to come over and let you know, hey, thank you for bringing them. Please go on the other side of the barrier. We're going to be polite about it, but we're going to let you know, like, hey, we can't have you out here, right? Um, if you're If you're like some parents have like professional cameras, but if you're not a vendor of the league, you're going to have to take your professional photos from behind the barrier, right? So we are very, like, that's something that we are very, like, on on about, on about at all times because we don't want to have those situations where, like, oh, my God, I can't believe this happened because the, kid, the kids are going to remember that. Like, like, I don't forget those things that happened when I was a kid, and it's scary, right? You know what I mean? Like, you, you see two grown people going at, going at it. Even if it doesn't get physical, even if it's just yelling at each other and they're arguing for a six year old, a seven year old, that's a scary situation because you don't know what to expect. Um, So we try to minimize those things as much as we can.
And like yeah, I said, I mean, knock on wood, we haven't had it. Sure, yeah. I mean, look, I, I think you guys do a great job of doing the diligence and doing the upfront work. And while it may take a little bit more effort to uh, deal with these issues, you know, upfront and being able to onboard the parents as much as you do the kids, it, it is. It sounds like it's doing a great job preventatively of keeping uh, most of these issues at bay. So that's, I mean, that's awesome. And it's something, you know, in thinking back to all of my sports leagues, like it was something that I wish had been present and was just unaware of because it wasn't, wasn't normal. And when you're a kid, like you don't, you don't imagine that grown adults are going to get into a full on screaming match about, you know, T-ball. Yeah. Like, or like be talking to you as, as a, as a kid on the field, talking trash to you and they're a grown adult and they're like, not like we're, we're not doing that. Like that's not allowed. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, we're not yeah. doing it. <laughs> yeah. It, it just, it ruins the experience for everyone. And, Absolutely. And, you, know, you put it in a great way and that the kids don't even know how to compute that. Like yeah. in their, in their minds, like they don't understand what's happening, why it's happening. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, we talked about how the, the goal for the younger kids is to help the help basically help them associate football and the skills associated with it and the teamwork as fun. Like you want them there and, and to uh, find joy in what they're doing. Now, obviously as they get older, um, it starts to become a little bit more competition focused. And these kids are out there because they genuinely want to win. They're willing to put in the work off the field and you're able to, to cut, work with them through some more complex problem solving. What do you do to, um, uh, like, do you run a system where uh, there's any sort of a trial or do you have a system where like the team has X amount of players and everyone gets equal playing time? Like how does that come into factor as the kids get older? So, yeah, um, everybody gets equal playing time um, from the standpoint and the way I, me specifically with the way I run my team, cause I coach a nine to 11 team. Um, I have like some kids will play both ways some kids will play either offense or defense. And that just ensures that playing time is even from the standpoint, nobody feels like they're standing out, standing out on the sideline for an extended period of time versus some other players, um, some other players. Um, and most, most people do it that way. It just, it's just from a coaching standpoint, it gives you a more of a structured way of ensuring that everybody's getting that experience and, and play time. And then we'll mix them in, on the other side of the ball as we can. Um, but yeah, they're going to, they're, they're naturally going to be better athletes at some things. Um, and those are going to be the kids that may play both ways um, because they're, they're naturally better or, or, or the way they've worked, they've made themselves better in that aspect. Um, but yeah, from across the board in our league is it is even playing time. We prioritize everybody getting that experience. Um, then when we get to, the travel team aspect, that's where it becomes more of um, where it's like uh, a meritocracy and it's like playing time is not going to be as balanced. So like that because we're traveling and we're going to tournaments and things of that nature. But from a from a league standpoint, yeah, it's, it's pretty equal. Now, when you get into the travel league, I know you guys just uh, got back from Florida not too long ago. How yeah. does that work out? Do Is there some sort of a, a connection of leagues throughout the country where, you know, there's a hierarchy or is it basically like, you know, you get you, you every league gets to submit a certain amount of teams to a tournament? So it was run by um, the AFFL, the American uh, I forget what the two Fs, but football league stand for uh, football league. They're based out of 
um, the New England area. Um, and what they did was they put on a national championship and they wanted representatives from every state. So what they did was they sent out information to leagues in every state and basically as an invitation to the tournament. Um, so we accepted the invitation um, and we went as Delaware sole representative um, to that tournament in Disney at the ESPN Wild World, ESPN Wild World of Sports. Um, and for the for that, what we did was for the age divisions that we that we had, we hand selected the standouts from those age groups and we sent invitations to the parents. Um, and then along the same lines of how we are upfront about our communication and expectations from a league standpoint, and uh, we were upfront about what the expectations were from a travel team's perspective. And then we also addressed that with the kids at the first practice where it's like, this is going to be a little bit more, more intense um, because this, this is like you guys are coming and playing as a selected group from the league, right? You're, your standouts in the league, you're going to play here, and then we're going to go and play teams in other, from other states. Um, and then you allow the parents to make the decision whether to accept that invite or to say, okay, I just want to play in the regular, the regular league, which is not a problem. We leave that decision completely up to the parents. Um, and then also um, something that, you, that we do too, though, you got to ask the kids too. Um, because the kids will tell you the truth, um, whether it's like, um, do you do you want to play? Like, do you not want to play? Um, luckily for us, we didn't run into any issues where like a kid didn't want to play, um, because that can be that can be an issue if it's like, all right, the parent is like, yeah, they're gonna go play, and the kid is like, I really don't want to do this. You know what I mean? Because like going out there, I mean, it can be traumatic. Like if if they don't want if they don't want to be there with the level of talent um, that you're gonna see. Yeah, I was going to ask, what was that experience like? I mean, uh, were you surprised by the level of talent? Was it, you know, very diverse or did it vary a lot, um, you know, within the age groups? Um, so, I mean, I wasn't surprised by the talent. Um, so when we went, we went out there, what it was refreshing to see is that Delaware, Delaware is very on par with everyone else. Um, what we have to do from the standpoint of if we want to compete from a na on a national um, standpoint is we have to um, put, put parameters in place to develop our athletes, though. But from a national from a from a natural athleticism standpoint, we're very on par. Um, not to say that some states don't have more, but you have athletes that can compete with the Texases, the Floridas, and things of that nature. Um, but we have to develop an infrastructure here that will develop those kids who want to, to, to who want to develop in that regard. Um, where I feel like other states have infrastructure in place that develops those kids who want to put in those to put in that time where I feel like Delaware is a little bit behind from an infrastructure standpoint. Um, but it was a great experience though. Um, we will go, we will be going back. Um, but um, definitely like it was eye opening from a coaching standpoint and even from the players, like even the kids, like they were like, man, it's a lot of people here. Like this, it's the most people they've ever seen like at an event. So that was a little bit, of an adjustment for them to like walk up to a wide world of Disney and you got thousands of people walking in at the same time. Right. And there's 
like 25 different fields and you got all these different age groups like co-ed you got a female division you got older kids playing and it's like it's just madness like all like vendor village and all stuff like that it's a lot to take in a lot of um a lot of things to see um so like it was an adjustment from that from that standpoint and everything that was going on outside of the field but on the field it was the same game yeah now it one question I have to ask here is that, you know, I think back to some of the standards I, my coaches set in place that were, it was almost like culture shock when we would go and play tournaments completely out of our area and kids would behave in ways that weren't in line with the league values or, you know, in my particular mm-hmm. case with the, the, with the team values that we had set, set in place. Did you have to deal with any issues of the kids being a little bit, uh, caught off guard with uh, the, the behavior or standards that other teams had set for themselves? Uh, yeah, we had a couple of uh, things where, like, um, there was a few teams where it's like um, they were a little bit more aggressive. So it's like after plays, like maybe a little bit of, like, bumping and pushing and stuff like that. So it was like so our kids, some of our kids are like, he's pushing me after the play, and it's just like, Okay, like this is, is like the intensity level has, has like ratcheted up a little bit. Um, so that was like the that was the only thing where from a player standpoint that I remember hearing like them verbalizing that was something that was like, yo, this is like this is different. Like, that's crazy. Um, but like it 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 was just a, a higher level of competition. And when you don't know kids, um, it's a difference from playing against kids that you see all the time. Like when you play in our league, like. Even if they're not on your team, you see them at practice, right? You know those kids, right? These are complete strangers, and, like, that's a that's a hurdle to get over in itself. Um, and then when that aggressiveness comes in, that aggressive component comes in there, um, we got to see, too, on our te- on, from our kids who was, like, more, nat- more likely to, like, meet that aggression with aggression and who was more likely to be, like, okay, kind of, like, shell-shocked by that. Which is also something that we 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 needed to see too, because we need to reinforce those messages. Like, okay, well, if you want to do this, like that can't derail you from what you're doing, right? You're gonna have some guys that may talk trash. It's not right. We wouldn't allow it, right? But that can't derail you. You lined up out here. If you're supposed to run a a slant, you run that slant. Like, I don't care what the kid's saying to you across across the across the line. Right. So those are things that they got to get used to from a national scene because we don't have any control over what the other team is doing. And if the refs don't say anything, you got to play ball. (laughs) Yeah, you got to play. Yeah, Yeah. you got to play through it. So now in terms of the logistics, is it pretty universal of how many kids are on the field, uh, what their roles are? You know, was there an adjustment that was needed uh, for you guys to go from Delaware down to this tournament? Yeah. And I think that was that's what provided like the biggest um difference for the kids so like we play um our kids so we took a 6u and a 7u down there so all of those kids fall in our six to eight year old division um we play a 70 yard length field with the normal width so 52 yards wide they play a 50 yard length field which is not an issue but they only play 25 yard width so our kids yeah, so it's a very condensed field. So like our it was an adjustment for our kids when they were running the ball to like some of them are used to being able to like, all right, I'm going to give you an end fake and then I'm going to get around the corner and I have like 
maybe 15, 20 yards of sideline to play with, right? Versus getting north and south immediately, which was more beneficial for this type of um, environment. Um, and that's where I said that was one of the things that was most eye opening for us is like, we've got, if we want to do this, we're, we're going to have to put them in other tournaments that are in this format so they get used to that style of play because it changes angles, right? Right. If you're used to, if you're used to um, having a 52-yard with field, like even your pursuit on defense is different. You know what I mean? Like, and the runners obviously are going to go straight up the field. So your reaction time, your hand-eye coordination, the 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 um, the urgency of you getting north and south to that defend to that runner is is more important too because if they get up on you and you're not ready to pull that flag, they're gone. You know what I mean? Like, um, so we ran into a little bit of that too. So just getting them to practice on those, on those dimensions more. And we did it in the lead up, but it wasn't in a competition environment against kids that they didn't know. So we scrimmaged against each other and everybody was still adjusting to it. We didn't play against kids that were used to it. Right. So that was, that was a little bit of the difference. (laughs) Well, I'm sure that, you know, orchestrating this whole experience for the kids and getting them to travel down there was a big overhaul and, you know, consumption of your time and energy. But I I would be willing to bet that this is an experience for the kids that is, you know, uh, one they will always remember and also one that's going to just reignite their own personal passion and excitement for playing in the league back at home. So, yeah, yeah, I'm sure this was, was awesome for everyone involved. Yeah, I mean, we've already heard, like, Kids are like, um, like one of the kids that played quarterback, he's like, his dad's like, yeah, he's out in the backyard throwing at targets and stuff like that, like getting ready. You know, like uh, kids are like, oh, I'm going out running routes. Like, and so like the, 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 the reaction from going there is exactly what you want. It's like, all right, now I'm chomping at the bit. Like I want to, I want to go back and, and see what we got. Um, see what we got next year. So, I mean, it, it nice. was, it was a great experience overall. Um, and the, I mean, you're in, you're in, you're in Florida, you're in Disney. Um, the kids, they, they had a ball, like you stay at a hotel with the other athletes too. So, um, they, they had a, they had a ball out there. I love it, man. I love it. Well, Hey, um, I have loved watching everything that you are doing from the sidelines here. And, um, Appreciate it. it's been, ama- it's been amazing to see. I mean, you know, you're, you're at this point, what, four years into this? Yeah. 2019, 2019. So yeah, fall of 2019 was the first season. So whatever. It's yeah. And I mean, look, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like look how far it's come in, in that time, yeah. man. I mean, imagine where you'll be in, in another three years. It's crazy to think. So, yeah. Um, congrats on putting something so special together and especially for the youth. I mean, that's uh that's a very admirable thing and, and they need leaders like yourself, um, to kind of give them the guidance outside of the parenting that they're getting at home. And, uh, yeah, man, I, I, I wish nothing but the best for you with the league. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, thank you for, uh, for having me on. Um, and if your kids aren't in the league, get them in the league, bring them out there to watch. If you're not, if you're not, um, if you're not sure if you want them to come, um, we, we always invite people to come bring their kids out, watch a game, and then decide if they want to enroll them in the next season. Um, DFL, DFFL experience is unlike any other. Um, you're not going to find another youth sports organization that puts the, the uh, attention to detail into the presentation of the game. So they're going to do things that they would see in a college environment, and we create that 
um, for, for three-year-olds all the way up. So, yeah, that's amazing. Well, hey, tell uh, the parents where they could find out more about your league. Yeah, so our website is com. Um, we actually um, are registering right now for our spring season. Uh, late registration will go from February 1st to February 5th. Um, and um, you, our Instagram handle is at the T-H-E underscore D-F-F-L. Um, it's where you can find all of our, like, pictures. We do actual, like, promos for each season. We have professional videographers come out there and shoot for the kids. So if you look at, like, NFL, you follow NFL, NFL on Instagram, how they show videos of them on the field, mic'd up, you're going to get that same experience with DFFL. We got cameras in there with the kids, in the action, um, and they perform, man. These kids go out there and they leave their hearts out there. And they're learning life lessons and having fun while doing it. Um, and that's the main thing, making sure they're smiling and enjoying what they're doing. Okay. I love it. Parents, make sure you go online and check all that out because there's some Chris is doing some amazing stuff over there with the DFFL. Well, hey, Chris, thanks so much for jumping on with me again. And I am positive you're going to have some parents hitting you up. Looking forward to it. Thanks. Thanks, Bet. If you feel like the gym is one big, confusing, and intimidating playground, a personalized coach from Hardbat Athletics can work with you remotely to help match your goals to an actionable plan. You'll get workout videos and descriptions and have access to coaching calls to make adjustments when you need them. Let us take the guesswork out of your fitness and nutrition. Visit www.hardbatathletics.com to chat with a coach today.